So you've got five years of data under your belt. What are the trends you've seen and what can companies learn from this? Great questions. The trends we've seen thus far in the five years, um, one of the key ones that we continue to watch for is the fact that we truly are in a workforce of five different generations. We still have traditionalists and baby boomers in the workforce and, and thriving, as well as millennials and what we're now calling the Generation Z, which were those that are just barely turning 18 and 19 this year. And in those, in those generational differences, we're starting to finally see a little bit of a pull in the difference and what attracts them to organizations. This is research that many companies have gone out and looked for this data, tried to analyze this data, tried to understand it internally to themselves. But with the trend data we now have, we can actually start to say, what are the preferences by generation? So depending on which type of, comp- type of candidate you're trying to recruit, there's some huge variables. I would say the other one, the largest one that I look at today in our in our data set is um, about over 48% of the candidates state that they already feel like they've had a relationship with the company. And so often we start recruiting with this assumption that the, that the candidates don't know anything about us. And in the information age today, they've done as much research on us as organizations as, as we have on them as candidates. And so we have to recreate our thinking when it comes to recruiting and not just assume the candidates don't know anything. We have to start to really think about what path should we be guiding them when they come to our front door or our website or um, the, the Facebook page or the Twitter account that we have, that we have to, there's some opportunities to really think every other one that shows up has already done some research and is already somewhat interested. How do we treat them in the process versus those that truly are just starting their exploration? So I think we're finding that there really are two avenues and two types of candidates, primary candidates coming to the websites today. The different generations, are they both, are they all coming, knowing a bit about the company now, or is it just more the younger generations? You know, it's actually every generation is doing their research, so it's not, it's not generational on the research perspective. I'd say one of the key differences has been in, in last year's data, and we're looking at this year's data now for North America and EMEA, and that was... Um, predominantly all the generations want the same things. Everybody has these assumptions that millennials have unrealistic expectations and huge differences in what they want in work. And in fact, they all just want respect. It makes make, makes common sense. Mm-hmm. But on the same vein, um, we found that, you know, the baby boomer generation and, and those a little bit more into Generation X will gravitate towards wanting to know company performance is stable Millennials are looking for values, number one, hands down. And so it's only difference by a few percentage points. But at the end of the day, those two are flip-flop. One's first, one's second between the two. And then everything else falls down the categories. But um, it makes, and when you think about the generations that everybody's grown up in, it makes a lot of sense. But core values are the number one most important thing to millennials today. So this is an just about avoiding sort of the negative press. It's it's also about trying to get candidates to champion your brand, isn't it? Well, yeah, absolutely. And there's huge um, data points that we have from that aspect as well. We collect data from the candidates on things like how likely are you to a- apply again, which would mean um, go after this whole process again with the organization if they didn't get it. Um, how likely are you to refer somebody, which, you know, from a recruiting perspective, getting a 
candidate that you turned down to refer somebody because they still thought the experience was great and it was a good opportunity for the other person is a huge testament to your organization. And then the third is how likely are you to, to change your customer status um, or your relationship with the company. And again, for those companies that are consumer brands and products, this is this is a big marker. Um, for those that aren't, it's, it's, a, it's a marginal marker. But we look at the candidate scores from a uh, one means I will I will go out of my way to discourage people from applying to a five score, which is I will um, I will I'm a strong advocate and will encourage and actually submit my um, submit uh, people to the job. So when you think about that range of scale, that difference, any organization that's going that's trending towards the high end of the fives is doing something really well. And when you think about the financial implications and the recruiting challenges where you're seeing a lot of those ones and twos, it's getting to the point you can actually financially um, measure a recruiting performance just based on those scores. So for a company who's participating in the study, what do they receive back and how can that help them improve what they do? Great. A great question. We have a lot of different things going on for the employers that participate. As a nonprofit, um, we give as much back as, as we can. So as an employer participating, first and foremost, they get their full benchmark report data. So access to their own data around the candidate experience, their employer survey, and all of their candidate surveys where they're scrubbed to be anonymous. So they can actually see quickly what did the candidate say by question, by generation, by demographic. Um, the next set after that is they also receive access to the winner pool set. So compare and contrast, that ability to say, oh, our candidate scores on question number five were 3.8, but the overall winner set was 4.6. Maybe we should think about doing something in this category as an example. So they can do compare and contrast on those categories as well. Um, beyond that and going forward into next year, we're also going to be leveling in uh, years before worth of data to allow companies that have been participating and that will continue to participate year over year a multi-year trend data to now do compare and contrast. So the goal is data access at the base level for every participant. The secondary aspect and opportunity is any participant gets um, complimentary um, access to our symposiums, which are our, our candidate experience conference. That's because of their participation, so the ability to come and spend time with other organizations that have participated or those that are interested in the topic. And then beyond the benchmarking, they get access to uh, our research reports and other research data as needed. Have you had companies that have, you know, submitted their data each year and you can see them getting better and better in this? Well, there's a variety of companies. We, we can actually layer in trend data for several companies that have done this all five years now. Um, a couple of them that scored well in the first two years and have actually scored worse in the last couple of years. Um, they can actually attribute the changes to some of the things that they thought they were doing to improve their process and in fact didn't. And they now have that data to justify some other changes they have to make within the organization. So yeah, we can actually see those trend, that trend information year over year. Some companies, um, they toggle on which and how they're inviting their candidates to participate to see if they can get even other data. So. A lot of organizations have opened it up to all candidates just to respond. We, they started with a few just on the safe side for the year one and year two, and they've moved into, you know what, we're just going to publish this link on our website and hope everybody responds.
because they now, they really feel confident in the data they're getting. So for companies who have received their data back and they want to change and they want to sort of estimate the ROI on working on their candidate experience, how do they calculate the, the estimated costs of a negative experience? We have a negative a candidate resentment calculator, which we've published with HireRight as one of our platinum sponsors. And uh, you can get to it on our website anytime. HireRight went ahead and created a simple online tool you enter the numbers answer the questions by entering the numbers and it tells you the percentage numbers the resentment calculator is really based on the candidate that has really gone sour and it's important to recognize that we know that not all negative candidates have resentment and um, in fact majority won't our program designs is we, we think that less than eight percent overall would have a resentment factor and that resentment factor means that they're going to one other person um, towards your organization in a negative way. And so when you do the calculations, again, if you are an organization that has a financial footprint or direct consumer-based product or consumer or retail-based model, um, having one customer walk away and having them take one with them can have, have serious implications. So the calculator is designed to just help organizations kind of factor in what those cost pieces are. We're working on some new numbers for next year as well because we think that there's a huge opportunity to actually showcase the revenue generation from a positive experience. And if not the, just the revenue generation, what can we do to, to adjust recruiting costs overall for critical talent if we were to have more candidates refer better candidates to us? So that referral relationship and how that can drive a stronger talent acquisition um, financial footprint overall. Looking at your data, are you able to identify a part of the application process that seems to upset candidates the most? Is it, you know, too long a time to get a response? Is it, you know, a poor careers web website where they can't figure out how it works? Is there some critical point that is the most, the biggest pain point for a candidate? Yeah, there's, I think there's probably two of the most major um, points that we hear. We see the candidate frustration level peak. So the apply process still needs to be fixed. We still, um, it, it's getting better, but in many organizations, that ability to, to collect all the information from the candidate where we haven't made the products um, mobile friendly yet or mobile enabled, we're asking you know 75 questions just in order for them to be a sandwich maker. There's some things like that where the candidates have definitely expressed their frustration um, when the skills to apply far exceed the skills that you need to do the job, we have a problem. <laughs> so um, there's some of those areas that absolutely need to get fixed. But I think the other area where we see the most amount of candidate frustration is actually around the actual interview and post-interview activities. But this is because now there's more of a formal relationship. And you'd be surprised the number of candidates that are vocal about the manager was late to meet them. Nobody greeted them. Somebody no-showed for the interview. Um, they were they came in a suit and the whole company's in jeans. I mean, it's common sense, really common sense, and just how do we set the candidates up for success in our corporate interviews seems to be an area where we've we've um, we've under-engineered it and and completely missed the mark because I think candidates are eager to set to present themselves well, and we've not done a good job as organizations 
to give them what they need in order to do that. The second aspect is obviously the feedback after interview. The, the time delay between all the efforts to get them in to do an interview, the time that they took off from their other jobs and, and life and family and et cetera, and the lack of courtesy that happens most times where candidates are left on the hook for two and three weeks after an interview just to find out that they, that they didn't get the job, I think is, is in some cases quite cruel. And the, those are the two areas where they, they vocalize the most about the, the need for, you know, some, some more real-time or instant feedback. Um, not necessarily right in the interview, but, you know, shortly thereafter, that ability to know whether they're really the top candidate or not um, gives them the ability to make plans. And I think, again, it just it, it's the right thing to do.